the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Or Salem Media Group. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good morning, everybody. Kind of a dreary day out there, so welcome to Northeast Ohio, I guess. Uh, you know, I talked to some young people this week, and, and uh, I, I brought up a quote just for them. So if you guys are listening, I hope you are. Uh, none of them said they got up at 7. <laughs> uh, what a surprise. Uh, youth, uh, early to bed, early rise, right? Anyway, if I have belief that I can do it, I shall surely acquire the capacity to do it even if I may not have the capacity at the beginning. Uh, that was Gandhi, by the way, great statesman. All right, uh, as I always talk about on this show, you know, our webpage, if you want to find out who we are, what we're doing, uh, you know, get any of our materials that we talk about, just go to a Google or Bing and type in Tim Hayes Radio, and uh, I show up. And uh, right below it, you can always tell it's me because it says, remember, buy low, sell high. Uh, there's lots of good stuff on there. There's Market Week. We have Bob Dickey's Daily Technical Analysis, so you can go there every day and, and see what Bob's thinking. Uh, and he had, he had, I thought, a pretty good seminar uh, uh, this last month uh, over at the, uh, the Marriott uh, Airport. So um, anyway, uh, if you have any questions or you want to make contact with me, there's all sorts of contact me, email me type of hits, and, or you can call us. You know, uh, The number is 216 216- Seven seven four, eight nine zero six. That's directly to me, by the way. That's two one six seven seven four eight nine zero six. And uh, we have all sorts of stuff like our dividend growth portfolio. We're going to talk about a lot about dividends and, and ways, uh, other ways to do dividends, or other ways to do stocks. Uh, we have our newsletter that comes out. Uh, I got a new one this month, and our prime income list, which has done really, really well over a long period of time. And our best ideas list. Uh, and I, I'm starting to see some uh, of the European and foreign stocks start to creep in. So I'll mention our ADR list again. Uh, you know, it, it keeps, you know, we have on and off so with that one. So uh, I try to get things when they're timely. So we'll leave it at that. I keep talking about uh, spring cleaning your finances. One way is to get your insurance uh, policies together. Uh, do you have the old insurance where you, you pay premiums, have a little bit of death benefit, maybe some cash value, or the new insurance with living benefits uh, that can help pay for long-term care expenses? Uh, you know, But getting your insurance policies makes a lot of sense. And right now, I think it's a really good idea is sprinkling your portfolio, selling your laggards and, and moving on, uh, unless you really feel good about them. Look, uh, Disney was a laggard for a short period of time in my, in my portfolios, and then it jumped up, and uh, I'm glad I didn't sell it. Also, our newsletter is about mergers and acquisitions, what's in the deal for investors, how does the Federal Reserve affect the economy. If you don't know that, you shouldn't be handling your own account. <laughs> it's that simple. Uh, we also have a piece called Rewriting Retirement. And, uh, boy, I tell you, this is a really good piece. It's a, you know They've really put a lot of work into this. If you'd like it, uh, once again, hit the contact me, email me. If you want any of those, you can contact me, email me. You know, I, I've been preaching stocks uh, for a pretty long time and uh, I'm not afraid to talk about bonds but bonds have you know we've just finished uh, about a 35 year bull market and I, I don't think uh, bonds are going down in price anytime soon I just don't think they're you know a two and a half percent 10 year yield on the treasury is anything to get excited about but you know if you took a hundred thousand dollars in 2007 and watched it go down to 49 in 2009 you would have been a, a bit upset now, if you took that money out and moved it to bonds, you'd only have seventy one nine right now. If you moved it to, to the money market, you only have fifty one seven. If you left it in stocks, even after the big decline in December, this goes year end, by the way, uh, you still have two hundred and eight thousand at this point. 
which is a 319% increase. All right. So uh, remember that. Now, look, I've been talking about dividends for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I've talked about real estate investment trusts, and they've been really leading the way. We talked about those last spring, along with utilities. But, uh, look, we, we have two portfolios, the dividend growth portfolio and the prime income portfolio. The dividend growth portfolio is just simply a portfolio that has dividends or has companies that raise their dividend an average from 6 to 10% a year. Uh, they are automatically eliminated if they cut their dividend, and uh, that's the way it is. The prime income list is a, uh, uh, you know, it's yielding about four point two percent right now, and it um, tends to be more of the higher dividend uh, portfolios. But you know, it's it's funny. Uh, you know, we had Qualcomm in there, <laughs> and Qualcomm, you know, went from a dreary, you know, four and a half five percent yield to suddenly the highlight of the portfolio. So, you know, some of these things, are, they're usually really high-quality companies, so things like that happen sometimes. But, look, real GDP growth remains well below historical averages, okay? Uh, you know, right now we're at about 23.9% real GDP growth over the since 2009. Uh, the 80s were worse. I mean, we had 4.4%. Uh, back in the 60s, we had 51%, to give you an idea. But we've had a, a yield curve that's been flattening, uh, it actually inverted and then just flattened again. So, but we have no real recession in sight. I mean, if you look at the numbers this week, you know, the employment numbers were really good. They weren't as good as they looked because uh, there was some, you know, some behind the scenes stuff that you have to see. Uh, and if you also looked at the GDP growth, I mean, it was 3.2%. That's good numbers. You know, the, the Trump, Trump stuff is working. So uh, I, I'm sure none of the Democratic uh, Party wants that to happen, but it is. But a couple of things that we're noticing is the consumer debt levels are well below previous peaks. I mean, the, the financial obligation ratio, which is the household financial obligations as a percentage of disposable, disposable income, is at 15.3%, uh, which is very low. The average is about 16.4. So we're still way below there. And we've, we've seen some historical valuations that indicate low teens return potential at uh, the start of the year, and, and, and we'll probably get there. Now, one of the equity strategies out there is dividend stocks. Dividend-paying stocks outperform uh, near-term economic inflections, okay? So before a recession uh, begins, they tend to outperform. As the recession hits, they tend to outperform because they they have buoyancy because of the dividend, and then they are the first ones out after recession. So what you see is some pretty good stuff, uh, and, you know, if you look, the turnover, except for the prime income list, uh, the prime income list has been about 25%, and that's just simply because in 2007, we sold a lot of the banks, all right? Uh, sold a lot more banks than, you know, uh, because the banks were hit. We, we got out before the, uh, you know, the crisis is what it came down to. But if you look, the overall performance has been uh, pretty amazing. And uh, we've, in the dividend growth portfolio, we were in the top, uh, we were one of the top strategies where we were ranked uh, 2008, we were number one. 2011, we were number one. 2016, we were number one. And then uh, the prime income list, we were number one. 2011, and we were in the top ten two other times. So, look, if you continue to outperform, uh, you know, and, and these will underperform in really dynamic up markets, but they'll outperform in down markets is what we're trying to tell you. But if you look, uh, the prime income list, we have outperformed uh, the income equity peers, which is, you know, a uh, you know, basically a value portfolio by several percentage points. And, uh, you know, that's a cup, that's twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 on a $100,000 portfolio. So that's what you, you like to see. The other thing is uh, it brings alpha to your portfolio. And that means that we're actually bringing something to the party instead of just, you know, watching. And the beta is much lower than the market. It's 0.75 versus, uh, you know, the market beta of one. And beta just means rate of change. So if the the market goes down 100 points, you know, or or percentage point, our portfolio goes down 3 percentage 3 quarters of a percentage point. And what we find is that a certain metrics when we get down 15%, our portfolio is usually only not about 6 or 7. So it it's a a great way to uh maintain wealth. But and look, if if you were if you look at bull and bear markets, you know, one of the things that we found in 2009 is that dividend stocks and 2008, the dividend stocks held up much better than, than anything else. Um, 
And if you have these expansions of 16 to 18 years, what we call secular bull market, and uh, so if you can maintain during a bear market and uh, just perform better than average in a in a bull market, you're going to do really, really well. And uh, so if we look at dividend growers, uh, the dividend growers, if you're adding to the portfolio, meaning you're letting the dividends buy more stock on a quarterly basis, has outperformed most every other type of uh, uh, scenario. Remember, dividends are almost 45% of the total return in the stock market for the last 100 years. So, uh, look, I think um, if you look at the dividend growth portfolio, it consists of 20 equal-weighted positions. We rebalance twice a year, February and August. Uh, we manage for low turnover. We've only had 17% since inception. We manage for low risk. The beta has been only 0.8% in that particular portfolio. And two of the stocks have, have paid a dividend for 100 years. Three of the uh, portfolio stocks have raised their dividends 50 years in a row. Okay? So that's the type of stocks we're looking for. Uh, the prime income list consists of 22 equally weighted positions. We rebalance twice a year. We have 25% annualized turnover but remember most of that occurred in 07 uh, when we sold stick uh, stocks and we only have a, a beta of 0.75 on that one so it's mostly uh domestic companies uh, that and we're looking for companies that get most of their uh revenues in America at least 85% so uh it, it's a really interesting way to play now the other thing that you can do is use convertible bonds now convertible bonds are hard to buy if if you're you don't know the business very well. So I would highly recommend there's a couple groups that we use, uh, Calamos out of Chicago. Uh, but if, if their convertible bond portfolios are quite good and, uh, you know, it, it gives you the opportunity to, uh, you know, convertible bonds have nice returns yields on them. And so you, you get the upside of the market, but you don't get half as much as the downside. And that's what the key is. All right. Some people ask me, uh, look, I think we've come back from the brink, uh, you know, everybody was worried about the yield curve inverting, and me too, by the way. But uh, if we looked, uh, the yield curve is now back to being uninverted. And uh, the, the big problem, as I see it, is value stocks continue to swim upstream. And we do have this huge, uh, huge discrepancy now between value and growth. And the question is, is how is that going to end? All right, so... Look, I'll just say this. Uh, this is the time of year where they say sell in May and go away. And if you look, uh, the average return from May 31st to, from 1997 till today, uh, till October 31st has been 2%. Uh, from January 1st, I mean from uh, November 1st to uh, April 30th has been 190%. Uh, no, I'm sorry, it's been 52%. It's 190%. So, uh, obviously, there's some seasonality to uh, portfolios. Now, one of the things I found is if you take these portfolios and you add a low volatility ETF, things get even better. Hey, we'll be right back. Stay tuned. This is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Day after day, I'm more confused. Okay, we're back. Just tuned in. This is Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. Once again, if you want to hear uh, last week's show, you didn't, you missed it, or you missed the first part of this show, or you got to leave early and you can't hear the second half, go to WHK fourteen twenty, and go to local podcasts, and then go down to Tim Hayes, and there I am. Uh, they they post these every Tuesday at about noon. Okay, so uh, hey, I forgot to mention. Remember, we had a magazine cover last week, and magazine covers tend to be uh, dead wrong. <laughs> The stuff inside the magazine is pretty good, but the, the magazine covers tend to be dead wrong. And this is on Bloomberg Business Week, which is probably the best record of anybody. And they had on the cover, Is Inflation Dead? in big black letters. And they had a dinosaur laying flat, uh, which, you know, it'll be interesting to see a year from now uh, if the Commodity Research Bureau Index, which is looks like it's made a double bottom going back to 2009, uh, is going to be interesting. I did notice, uh, you know, our friends at Dorsey Wright, who provide us with a bullish percent, have a, a system uh, where they go from basically zero to five. On the, they graph these things, and a five is a really good uh, score. But social responsibility, 
uh, portfolios went to 3.8 and broke out to a new high this week. Uh, so it'll be interesting. But uh, look, as we enter May, we, we, we begin a seasonally October, uh, I mean, seasonally week period in the markets, which corresponds, you know, from May to October 31st. Go away in May and come back all Souls Day is what it says. But uh, one model, you know, we've, we've looked at this before. And when we add this, we add your add to your portfolio a low volatility portfolio. It tends to be very interesting over the long run. So I'll just say that. One of the things I notice is that human resources is really getting connected. And uh, they're, they're using a lot of cloud-based uh, products to, you know, help them do their job better. And I'll just say this. I, I noticed a couple things. Number number one is there's a good reason for HR to modernize, first of all, and, and migrate to the cloud. Uh, you know, they're, most of their stuff is very highly fragmented, and, and it makes it much easier for them if they do it this way. But if they full, fully di- digital and cloud-based architecture can uh, provide a unified database for everybody. So it, it can be very helpful. So there, there's going to be more offerings coming in that area. Uh, new issues, and there's some companies that are starting to get into that area. So, uh, you know, pay pay close attention. We looked at dynamic asset level investing, which our friends from Dorsey Wright provide us with. And, you know, technology still leads the way, and that has been up there for a long, long, long time. I'll say that again. It's been up there for a long, long, long time. And one thing about the stock market is you better get used to is things are going to change. All right. So I just want you to think about those two statements right now. Uh, and just remember what I said, but the industrials are now number two. They jumped over utilities and healthcare went all the way down to the, you know, the, the, almost the bottom of the barrel energy, still the bottom of the barrel, which is interesting because oil rallied 50% and the energy stocks did nothing, nothing. So either nobody believed it, or I don't know what's going on. So oil stocks are back to where they were in 2016. Isn't that interesting? But healthcare is just, you know, just above the bottom four. Uh, so it went from number two and a comment by Bernie Sanders blew the place up. Uh, I can't believe it. But anyway, uh, so why don't you think about that for a second? You know, there's a big dispersion right now between large cap and small cap stocks. Uh, large caps are hitting new highs. Small caps can't get out of their own way. And we are uh, historically at the lowest valuation to large caps that I've ever seen small caps, ever. And you know what? Wall Street tends to regurgitate ideas. Now, small caps usually are about 60% of the return in the market over the last 100 years. And everybody's stuffing money into the XLG and the NDX, the top 150 stocks. Something tells me that that could happen. I mean, that could, you know, end badly. Now, small caps, uh, small cap growth has done well. Uh, small cap, uh, large cap growth and small cap growth have been number one, two categories. But it hasn't been the, it's been the upper end of the small caps, not the lower end. And also I would say the, the value stocks are nowhere to be found. And what's interesting is I, I, you know, Friday I was doing my charts and I, I had almost 210, I think it was 210 regional banks. That's what the Russell 2000 is all about. You know, you get those regional banks going and the Russell will outperform. So it'll be very interesting. So, uh, by the way, the, XLG and the NDX have been positive for 18 straight weeks. Positive momentum. That's a long time, folks, in, in my business. So uh, there we go. A um, couple other things I've been noticing, clean energy stocks, uh, which is interesting because, you know, uh, Mr. Trump killed the tax deal for them. Uh, and, you know, the clean energy index uh, looks like it's going to break a double top this week, and I'm seeing a lot of really interesting-looking stocks in that area. I got a whole list of them. So if you want those, you know, or would like to talk about them, give me a call at my office. That's 888-223-7742. Or you can call me direct 216-774-8906. But there's a, I mean, there's a ton of good looking charts there. Uh, now somebody asked me, okay, Tim, what are you watching right now? And I said, there's five trend lines I think you want to watch. Uh, number one, the NASDAQ 100. 
uh, is something you have to watch. The semiconductors, these are all similar charts. Microsoft, Amazon, and offense versus defense. And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, do you want to, well, you know, discretionary versus uh, um, consumer uh, staples, okay? And then bond prices. Bond prices have been up quite a bit, so uh, we'll we'll see. I, I a lot of people asked me about Intel last week. I just said, you know, look, I uh, our analyst is no longer with us, <laughs> so I'll just say that you know we do have a new CEO. He might be uh, trying to uh, pad expectations so he can beat them. Also, I noticed that the euro broke down out of a triangle pattern and the dollar broke out. Um, that's usually positive. Uh, I am also seeing that the that if I look at the SPY, which is the Standard Poor's 100, versus Europe and Australia and the Far East, uh, we are still seeing the, the S&P 500 break out against those guys. So now uh, here's some other stuff that I saw this week. Um, I saw the monthly cycle momentum building positively at the end of, of, of April. The longer-term cyclical backdrop continues to improve with the percentage of stocks rising uh, monthly momentum continues to improve. Mostly, it's growth. I I, I have very few uh, value stocks that, I, that I'm seeing on the on my lists. Uh, so I guess the bottom line, what I'm trying to tell you is technical intermediate term pullbacks and consolidations. You want to further accumulate equity exposure, given the cycle is still early and a multi year recovery is what we're we're thinking. Okay, I, I you know it's this four year cycle we talk about. Um, actually, Bob Schleimer at, Tr- at Fundstrat, uh, who we listen to every Tuesday, is a really bright guy, and he just talks about these cycles, 17, 34-year, uh, and the four-year four cycle within that. So the S&P's at new highs, but uh, other risk barometers are consolidating, correcting. So I, I think what you're going to see, look, there, there's been a two-month consolidation. A move by the Russell right now above the first quarter high would be a very positive event, I think, all right? The leadership is still technology and discretionary sec- sectors. Uh, the sector leadership is is a lot with the five G and software and semis. You know, software as a, as a uh, subscription is is really big. Uh, there's been some discretionary rotation similar to tech. Uh, what you're seeing in in tech is some pullbacks and some uh, you know like uh, Aristonet was down big on Friday. Xilinx was down big. Uh, Intel was down big last week, but we're starting to see, you know, we had some strong rallies from Home Depot and O'Reilly and, uh, you know, we had Disney fly through the air, uh, which I bought, I bought like the week before in some cases. Um, but the casinos remain bullish and, and, uh, uh, you know, that's a, that's a group that's really interesting and I'm starting to see financials emerge. So, um, you know, that's, that's something else to look at, but, if I look at the monthly quadrant balance data, which is provided to us by our friends at Fundstrat, uh, you know, we're, we're not overbought there, but on the weekly, we've turned down. So I think the weekly, it, both on, in the, on the S&P 500 and the Russell are the ones that are a problem. But if we were to break over 1620, let's say on the, on the Russell, I think that would be very positive. And I think there'd be a pullback in, in the market. Look, they've taken $112 billion out of ETFs and mutual funds this year in stocks. And the money that's that's in, uh, any money that's come in has come into the NDX and the XLG. I mean, like 70% of the money. So uh, if, if if they stop that for some reason, uh, that would be, it could get ugly there. So uh, small caps could be interesting. I looked at the EFA, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index. It's a... Uh, the larger cap securities uh, worldwide, it broke its downtrend line. That's a big positive. Uh, the EEM is another name that looks fairly good on weakness. Same with the Shanghai Index. So we're seeing uh, a lot of international stocks. Now, look, they're not hitting new highs, okay, but they're breaking their downtrend line, so they're becoming more of a solid, solid citizen. So whenever you have a situation like that, you really want to buy it on weakness. Now, usually it takes a weak dollar for those to go up. And right now, what we're seeing is uh, the dollar is breaking out. So we'll see how long that lasts. But also, the ten-year bond yields weekly. Uh, you know, we we went down below two point five, and then we rallied right back over it. And the weekly ro- momentum is again at oversold levels. So it might be you know time to be paying attention to that. Now, one of the things I did notice, and and I was looking at the what we call the uh, heat charts. Uh, 
in quarter one, growth in cyclical leadership uh, is beginning to pause. You know, the stuff that was up and a turn after peaking four or six weeks ago. And uh, I think you probably want to use any weakness in the second quarter to start uh, buying some of that stuff. Uh, and, and what I'm seeing is it's mostly financials. Okay. So the financials are actually rallying ahead of the game. And, uh, that's something that we haven't, you know, uh, we've been talking about financials. They made a big move for us and then they got whacked, uh, because the yield curve inverted and now, uh, it, they're picking up again. So, uh, look, I don't think the market's going anywhere without the financials, uh, nowhere big anyway. And by the way, usually when the financials start to get up and go, that's when the small caps get up and go too. So we'll see what happens over the next course in the next couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, in the meantime, some good ideas, uh, on our prime income list and our dividend growth portfolio, there are several financial stocks. I would highly recommend those lists. And I would start to look at our European list because I just talked about Okay, we're back. Uh, if you just tuned in, this is the Smart Investor Show. I'm Tim Hayes. And uh, what we're going to talk about now is our prime risk indicator. It's called the bullish percent, and it's um, it, it, it's easier to show you, you know, when I'm not on the radio. <laughs> so uh, if you want to uh, sit down and have a conversation about this and what I do, the best thing to do is call me. Uh, if you're way out in the hinterlands, you can use the 800 number. It's 888 223 Seven seven four two. That's eight 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 two two three seven seven four two, or you can call me direct. Uh, I do pick up the phone. Isn't that amazing? I'm at two one six seven seven four eight nine zero six. That's two one six seven seven four eight nine zero six, or you can go to Google or Bing and hit Tim Hayes Radio, and I show up. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's got all sorts of contact me, email me stuff. While you're there, look at Bob Dickey stuff in our weekly. Uh, uh, newsletter. Um, so the bullish percent uh, is just simply a risk monitor. It was designed back in the 30s. And the people that designed it want to be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. So what they did was they made up, you know, point and figure charts were bigs back then, X's and O's. And, uh, you know, basically what they did was they, they made a chart from zero to 100. And when he got over 70, that was the red zone. That's when everything was too hot to handle. It's you know, the red zone. And then when you get down at green zone, which is below 30, that's when everything was really attractive, but nobody bought. <laughs> All right. Everybody was scared to death down there. And the closer you get to zero, the better it is. So when your, your neighbor calls you and is uh, ready to jump off his roof, bring him over a ladder and tell him that, hey, the bullish percent's at two. It's time to buy. Okay. Uh, it's not there right now, but, you know, it was, it was just at uh, like 12. Uh, actually eight, I think, uh, back in December. So uh, we had a ba- great opportunity back then. We were telling you not to get bearish, and I'm, I hope you, you listened. Anyway, this week we're at 57, and we were down 0. 0.0 or 0. 0.1. Uh, we would reverse down at 52. The small cap index, ha-ha, here we're talking about. The over-the-counter index was up 1.1 to 45. That's a great place to buy, by the way, especially after five or six weeks of them being not in such great shape. The world index was down 2.7%. It's at 49.9. It would turn down at 42, so be careful there. So, we, you know, I would suggest that with the, sec- with the exception, uh, well, most of these remained unchanged. They're all in a column of X's, okay? So we have the offensive team on the field when we're in a column of X's. In a column of O's, we go a little bit more defense. Now, one of the things I'll mention is that domestic equities are the number one asset class right now. So I think declines will be more buying opportunities than selling opportunities. Now, remember, back in 2007, 2008, if you were listening to the show, U.S. equities were the lowest form of life. Okay, They were dead last on the uh, on relative strength scale, and that's when you want to be careful. But we're not there right now, so uh, I, I don't, get, don't panic is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, look, we've officially moved into seasonally weak area. Um, you know, Selling may go away. I'm not actually sure that's the greatest idea. Because uh, I made a lot of money, especially in the last five or six years, uh, you know, buying in May. I mean, I bought in May last year. I sold in January and, and bought in May. Uh, you know, so I, I think you just want to be uh, 
thinking about, you know, maybe this is the year that does sell off, who knows. But uh, look, you know, if, if you look between uh, April of last year and October 31st, the Dow Jones returned just 5.8%, uh, whereas, you know, in January to, to May, it did a lot better. Uh, and then from October 31st on, eh, didn't do so good. But uh, so this is another year that, you know, the market seasonality has not done what it normally does. So we'll just leave it at that. Uh, but look, if, if you took 10 grand and, and you just invested it between October 31st and May 1st, you'd have about a million dollars if you started in 1950. If you bought the seasonally week period, uh, I think you'd have uh, $10,000, okay? So uh, buy and hold, by the way, uh, you'd be pretty close to the seasonally strong time. So, uh, but seasonally weak, there's been several times during seasonally week where we've had crashes and all that sorts of stuff in October. So uh, you, you just want to be thinking about that now. Uh, you know, it's not the end of the world. There's probably plenty of good ideas. But if you look uh, over a period of time, the best year in seasonally strong was 29.8. Um, the worst year was 14, negative 14%. The worst for, uh, and, and I'm talking about modern history from 90, 1950 now, the worst for a seasonally week was 27.2% negative, and the best was uh, 9% or 19%, I'm sorry. Uh, so, you know, you, you want to be more careful now, I think, than you, you were beforehand. I did notice that all the growth groups are above three on the Dorsey Wright scale. And by the way, the Dorsey Wright does provide us with the bullish percent, our friends in Virginia. Uh, and the positive trends for uh, New York stocks hit 50, which is usually a good sign. Uh, the only problem you have with that is if it breaks over 50 and then breaks below 50, it, it normally goes back to, to uh, below 30. Uh, but we are over 50, so that's another positive sign. So we're starting to see things that are good. The Dow Jones Industrials you know, just broke out of a triangle pattern. Uh, and, but like I said, you know, one of the problems is, is that last week uh, we broke out and we only had 13 new highs. You know, 13 is not a big number uh, when you have 700 or 300, then you know you're in a really bullish uh, scenario. But the the Dow Jones industrials have had positive weekly momentum along with the caps and the small caps for about four weeks now. The QQQs, and the XLGs have been positive for 18 straight weeks. That's where the money's flowing in because people are afraid they missed something. I think that is the area that I'd be very worried about. Uh, the the S&P 500, both the uh, uh, market market cap weight and equal weight, have been positive for four weeks, so that's positive. Now, the S&P 500 on Thursday broke to a new high, uh, and the monthly momentum went positive, which is good. So... Uh, no reason to be bearish out there. I just think uh, the bigger stocks have been, they've stuffed a lot of money into bigger stocks. I think the opportunity would probably be in the mid caps and small caps. And the other question is, when does this value growth uh, pendulum switch? Um, and believe me, we're at valuations where uh, in the past they have switched. I have no sign yet, but I keep warning people about this just to make sure everybody's uh, uh, you know paying attention. Now, we also do the bullish percent for sectors, and we only talk about the favored sectors on this show because if you buy the worst stock in a favored sector, you'll usually do better than the best stock in an unfavored sector. All right, so let me repeat that. If you buy the worst stock in a favored sector, you'll usually do better than the best stock in an unfavored sector. So what we're going to do is talk about this. By the way, we have nine sectors that are favored this week. Uh, we're, we're just up to 52 this week, so... Uh, uh, you know, we, we moved up a little bit. Uh, so we're up one sector from last week. We were down to eight. We went from 16 to eight, by the way. So that was a pretty big decline over a couple week period. So that, that's that sloppy trading that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks on the show. So at 70, uh, which is the red zone, uh, semiconductors and electric utilities at 65 is waste management. Uh, at, at 60 is autos. I noticed that Ford broke out. You know, that's, that was interesting. You know, uh, I have to see how that continues. I mean, it broke its downtrend line. Now, I think the long-term downtrend line lays at about 11 or 12. So don't get excited yet. But, you know, I noticed that. It's been mostly the auto parts. At 50, 
is software, medical, and housing. Housing, you know, we've been, we talked about housing about a month ago saying we think housing's on the rise. And sure enough, some of the housing stocks are starting to break out. Uh, the medical group, uh, it's the medical, uh, in, in the medical group, it is the people who actually make products that go into your body or save you. Okay. Like defibrillators, that type of thing. Uh, software, it's software, subscription software that's doing the best. And then we have two others, transportation and telecom at 40. Most of the telecom that I'm seeing in here is equipment manufacturers and they're mostly they're buying 5G. We have two groups that are under 30 that are not favored. They're precious metals and healthcare. Healthcare just got beat up by Bernie Sanders and, uh, thank God for politicians. All right. So, uh, I did notice that protection services went to average and oil services went to unfavored. So, you know, it's pretty interesting. We have that big move in, in, uh, in, in oil, and none of the oil stocks really went up, uh, except for our Anadarko got taken over. You know, so we talk about the seasonally weak period, and, you know, we'll emphasize that. And one of the ways to get around that is if you use uh, a low-volatility ETF along with your portfolio, uh, usually that will help you out, okay? Uh, it tends to keep the beta down. And if you don't know what that is, you probably shouldn't be running your own portfolio. Uh, so if you add low, uh, you can do this, by the way, with emerging markets, too, and it works fairly well. So I just, you know, highly recommend that in both cases. You know, fixed income convertible bonds are currently the number one fixed income group. That's why we've been talking about it. They 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 rallied like three points here. Convertible bonds are simply bonds that convert into common stock. They usually have a nice yield on them. In some cases, stocks they don't that don't have yield have yield in this case because you're buying the bond. The problem is they're hard to buy. You got to know what you're doing. Okay, so let let a professional do it. Uh, I've got several people who you know uh, I know personally that you know uh, do a great job with that. Uh, so let me know. Uh, the, the next is the government long bond, uh, which has had pretty good uh, couple weeks, and municipal high yield is number three. So. Uh, you know, I, I just suggest again, convertible bonds are a great way to have fixed income and equity. Uh, first, they act like equities, so they have equity char- characteristics. Convertible bonds are typically less affected by you know uh, interest rate fluctuations. All right, but they are, you know, it's a double-edged sword. They are affected by the markets. So there we go. Uh, and by the way, the, the other thing is their correlation is very very low. So uh, I looked at commodities, and crude oil started to crack on Thursday. It has been positive for 18 straight weeks, so be careful there. Gold's been negative for 10 weeks. Uh, palladium and platinum have been the stars, and then they, uh, palladium corrected just recently. Uh, it was at 1,500. It's now at 1,380, so it got really hit hard. Uh, but you want to watch that one because it's, it's, it's been holding up uh, pretty fa- fairly well. And platinum broke its downtrend line. Uh, you know, it, it had been, uh, almost a thousand. It's now, uh, 900. Uh, so it broke down, broke out. Uh, also, I looked at relative strength changes. You know, relative strength is a measure of how your stock is performing when prepared to something else, compared to something else. On the buy side, you know, you want to jot these names down because I think they're pretty good. Is, uh, Lithia Motors, Manhattan Associates, Teradyne, LaJolia Pharmaceuticals, Impany, uh, Warrior Metcold and Metrobass. On the sell side, we have Banner Corp, Merrimax, uh, Gaslog, Ingredient, Neurocrane Biosciences, Labtech, and Tesla. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back, and uh, so we've we've gone from a, an economy, and we've talked about dividends, and then we've kind of shuffled our way down to technical analysis, then we've talked about our risk, and we're in pretty good shape on the risk side, I think, right at the moment, anyway. And now we're going to talk about insiders, because insiders tend to be early, but when they buy, they buy for one reason. When they sell, they might be buying their Porsche, or they're buying their you know house on the coast of Marseille, or you know, their uh, cabin in, uh, in Jackson Hole or something like that. But 
for the most part, when they buy in the open market or they buy with options and they don't sell them all, you got to pay attention, okay? Uh, and and especially when they buy big. And I, what I'm talking about big is I'm not talking about, you know, eight guys that buy $2,000 worth of stock. That may be bullish, don't get me wrong, but I'm looking for people who buy a million dollars worth, $2 million worth, $3 million worth, $4 million worth, that type of thing. Uh, and just remember the early, okay? Uh, they're always early. I've rarely seen one that's been right on time, although a couple times I've been surprised. So uh, here's one that's interesting. Uh, we really like this stock, I think, is Grubhub. Uh, the CEO owns a ton of stock. I mean, he should be selling, not buying. Trust me on that one. And he bought a million dollars worth, uh, you know, right around the $70 uh, mark. Uh, that was last, it was... Uh, it was... a. Uh, Last Friday. And uh, here's another one that we've had a couple buys on, and that's uh, Amaris. They're in the basic pla- basic material specialty chemical area. Now, this stock was just 10 back in uh, October. It's now, he, this guy bought it at 405, and it's his second purchase. He, he bought it last week. Uh, this is a guy named Kung. He's a director. He bought $4.4 million worth. He bought a ton of it last week, too. Um, there was two other buyers, or another buyer, too. So there's been two buyers, and they've been uh, quite quite aggressive. Also, Acadia Pharmaceuticals, and the reason I bring this one up is this is uh, um, the uh, uh, Baker Brothers own a ton of this stock. Uh, they're down on it, by the way. And uh, I just noticed that none of the Baker Brothers bought, but Steve Davis, who's the president and CEO, bought 219,000 shares, and he bought another 62,000 shares. Uh, one was restricted stock. The other was uh, stock options, but he kept it which is interesting. Also, the CFO bought 45,000 shares. He kept 40 of it, and then he bought another 12,000 restricted stock. Uh, The the chief operating officer bought 59,000 shares, kept 50 of it, uh, and then uh, bought 16,000 restricted shares. Uh, A director or president bought uh, 134,000. He kept half of it, uh, and then bought another 38,000 in uh, restricted stock. Uh, You know, so we had... Quite a bit of buying, and uh, so that's Acadia Pharmaceuticals. Uh, Cerner, which is a information company in the healthcare business, uh, what I thought was interesting here is we had two guys buy. Uh, one, they were both directors. One bought six hundred eight thousand, the other bought four hundred ninety nine thousand. And uh, what what's interesting? It was at a new high. Okay. And you like seeing insiders buy at a new high. And these were open market purchases, so uh, they're your standard stuff. And then Richard Kinder, who's been on a roll from Kinder, Kinder Morgan, bought another $7.8 million worth. I think he's bought $110 million worth of stock over the last two months. And uh, they, they were at a new high, so that's really interesting. Now, here's one that just got killed just a while back. And uh, you like to see you know the people come in and buy. Now, there's a guy named Alex Denny who uh, bought this. This is Biogen IDEC. Uh, Biogen, I guess it's called. They got rid of the IDEC. Um, and, and they were trading around 320. They reported uh, a failure in one of their drugs. They're now at 232. And so uh, Mr. Denny, uh, who's, by the way, you should look him up, Alex Denny. He's, he's a very, very wealthy and a very, very bright man. But $27.7 million worth of stock. And the CEO bought a million dollars worth of stock. And, and believe me, uh, Mikkel has a ton of stock. And he bought it in the open market, okay? So believe me, he's, he's got enough to choke a large bull elephant. Uh, and he's, he's out there buying. And that's, you know, you like to see that when they're down or even when they're hitting new highs. That's, that's a really good, that's an interesting time to buy. There's a company called Claris Corp. Now, you don't know they're in the leisure business. And leisure has been uh, moving ahead quite a bit. Now he exercised 250,000 uh, shares and he surrendered 115, but he kept the rest. So the 135,000 he kept. The stock was at 13 when he bought it. So it's a lot of money, but he already owns 6 million shares. So he needs to add to that position like he needs a hole in the head. And there he is. Uh, so Claris Corp. So, uh, you know, something to, uh, one to follow. And then here's one we haven't seen in, I had this stock for a long, long, long time, still own a little bit of it. And it's given me like 
six five percent stock dividends as well as the dividend dividend. I bought it way back in two thousand when it was like um, nine eight nine dollars, and that's Archer Daniels Midland, uh, one of the great food processors in our country, and uh, uh, you know farm products. They they make everything ethanol. They make a little bit, and uh, their president and CEO bought a million dollars worth. Uh, the stock was you know I think it was six or fifty four. Back in October, it's now 43. And the CFO bought $256,000. You love seeing the money man uh, buy. All right, so this is where I tell you, you know, what I'm thinking and uh, what I've seen. And, you know, look, everybody's talking about rates going higher. And, uh, boy, I tell you, I, I looked at some charts and I I, I uh, listened to Bob Dickey this week. And, um, you know, Bob's a pretty sharp guy. And, and man, you, you look at the, the chart and, it has to break a downtrend line, and if it doesn't, it's pro- you know we could see rates at you know two, two and eight, two and a quarter percent, something like that. So it looks like to me, if if the Commodity Research Bureau falls uh, index falls any further, we could break to a new low, which would be deflationary, not inflationary. So uh, now Bob Schleimer disagrees with Bob Dickey. He thinks uh, uh, interest rates are going back up, but the ten-year Treasury sure does look like it could go to two and still be you know, you know. Still not be a, uh, you know, outrageous. Okay. Now I had a lot of questions about China. Uh, you know, we talked about China uh, back in in the latter part of two thousand. Uh, uh, two, I'm sorry, two thousand eighteen. Uh, lost my train of thought there, and uh, said that it was looking interesting. And then it broke out in the beginning of two thousand nineteen, and I, I think there's uh, there's you know. There's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, the possibility of a continued slowdown in China's, the Chinese economy, but the Chinese stock index suggests that better times are ahead, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it went straight up. Um, you know, the Chinese market pulled back about 30% from its high. Now, it's not at a new high, okay? Uh, at this point, I, I think it's, you know, it, 375 would be a new high on the Shanghai, but it sure looks interesting, okay? Um, you know, it got a lot of support, you know, it may go down and test support again, but for those who are interested, you know, China looks uh, fairly good. And the Dow Jones is now trading uh, tight between the support areas of around 2,600 and the resistance in the, in the previous two tops. So as I think the range continues still. Uh, the S&P's broken out, but just barely. And it, it like I said, it's only 13 new highs. You know, if you see a breakout, you want to see it on 500 new highs or a thousand new highs. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a powerful breakout. This is kind of like, uh, a, you know, a very weak, you know, uh, weak, weak, weak handshake. We'll call it. Okay. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. So will, will it pause or will it fail? Uh, will it continue up? And that's the big question. Now I did notice that financials, uh, which are very very close to breaking three on the Dorsey Wright system, which would be very positive. Uh, and I did have a lot of regional banks. I mean, I, I had like three columns of regional banks and banks. And I'm talking, you know, everything from JP Morgan all the way to, you know, uh, Huntington Bank and back. Okay. So it, it was, it was quite a bit. And look, I, I, I am not bearish. Some people said I was bearish last week. I'm not bearish. I'm very positive. I think, you know, uh, I mean, Bob Dickey, if you would have heard his price target at our seminar, you would have, your eyes would have opened. I'm sure you would have gone home and, and slept and dreamed about all the gold you're going to make, <laughs> all the money you're going to make over the course of the next 10 years. But it's not going to be that easy because there'll be changes in groups. There'll be times when stocks go out of favor. You know, look, uh, in the last great secular bull market, we had 1987. We had 1990 when Saddam Hussein rolled into town. We had the Russian ruble crisis in 1998. So, look, we have ups and downs, but so far we've been in a beautiful uptrend. Now, uh, we are at the middle of that uptrend right now, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, with only 13 new highs, if we go back and test again. So, it, uh, very interesting to see, I, I think. Um, I had a lot of questions about gold last week, and I'll just say gold uh, looks like it's going the wrong direction, uh, and that would probably be because of the dollar. It'll be interesting to see, by the way, with the dollar rallying, you know, oil's been up for 18 weeks. Uh, so maybe that's why nobody's bought any oil stocks, <laughs> except for Chevron. It's, it's interesting. 
The oil companies are going to the floor of the New York Stock Exchange to buy their oil. Do you think it's just a one and done? Hmm. And they're buying the Permian Basin. So I know like eight companies that have bullseyes on them probably because of the Anadarko deal. Do you think Chevron has stepped away from it because Warren Buffett is helping Occidental? They may step away from Anadarko, but what about this company or that company? I've got a whole list of them. Anyway, so what would I be doing right now? I, I um, Look, one of the things I think we have to have in order for the market to go for, forward is uh, some of the smaller names. Uh, you know, some of the small growth names are doing okay. Mostly that's software. I mean, if you took software out of the small cap growth index, uh, it would be down for the year. So I think you got to be paying attention. That, but, you know, if we get that, the Russell 2000, you know, I told you that looks like it could, could break out. If it were to break out, that'd be very, very positive. But remember, the Russell 2000 is almost 50% value stocks. So we have that, you know, that pendulum, you know, does it swing back? I mean, value stocks are where they were in 2000 on a valuation basis. Growth stocks are not where they were in 2000, but they're up there, okay? And everybody's shoving money into uh, Amazon. I noticed the guy that bought Amazon for uh, for Warren Buffett, by the way, was the same guy that bought Tiva at 22 bucks because uh, – I bought a little TV at $22 and, you know, now it's 15, okay? 15 and a half. So not everybody's perfect is what I'm trying to say. In the meantime, uh, call for the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list. I like the ADRs right now. Uh, you know, there's a few to buy here and there. Sign up for our newsletter. Go to WHK 1420 AM. Go to local podcasts. You go down to Tim Hayes. It goes you directly to my webpage. It allows you to click on anything, make an appointment, whatever you want to do. Call me, 888-223-7742. In the meantime, have a great weekend. Remember, buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll-free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.